This is Outstanding in the Field, a podcast by Perennia highlighting production practices, pest management, and more for field crops in Nova Scotia. I'm your host, Provincial Field Crop Specialist, Caitlin Condon. My guest today is Ben Rosser, Corn Specialist with the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture, Food, and Rural Affairs. Ben's areas of focus include tillage and production systems for corn to reduce soil erosion potential and improve fertilizer use efficiency, and nitrogen utilization in corn production. Our topic of conversation today is adjusting your fertility practices for strip-tilled corn, including fertilizer placement options and some work that's being done on safe rates for strip-placed fertility. All right, welcome, Ben. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, absolutely. So today we're gonna be talking about adjusting fertility in strip-till corn. Um, But before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit about strip tillage in general and tap into your expertise and just get your opinion on what you think the advantages and disadvantages of fall versus spring strip tilling would be just in general, like without thinking about the fertility aspect of it. And do you have a preference based on your experience and the experience of your producers in Ontario? Yeah, so I think there's a couple pros and cons to either going in the fall or the spring. I think one of the biggest advantages to the fall, and one thing people really like about the system, is that at least in Ontario, where a lot of strip tills being done after wheat harvest, you know, there's a fairly good window when soil conditions are, are usually pretty good. Usually our August, you know, the soil is relatively dry that time of year. Also, from a workload perspective, it's a nice time to be able to do, a, you know, your tillage. Essentially, you're making a seed bed in one pass. So getting all your tillage done essentially for that corn crop, uh, being able to also put your fertilizer down, you know, fertilizer logistics are way easier in, you know, the second half of August compared to beginning of May when everybody wants fertilizer. So I think, you know, on the time efficiency, logistics, all that, I think those are a lot of reasons growers like uh, the fall approach. Uh, If there was some cons, I think one would be, you know, if you're going after soybeans or corn, you know, we can have some pretty wet falls in Ontario where uh, ground conditions are tough, especially if harvest is delayed. So that's always a risk. You know, you can, there's a lot of years you can get away with it just fine. But there's a lot of years where, you know, that can become an issue and you might not get all your strip till done if you're trying to get it done after those crops. Um, maybe you lose a little bit of fertilizer efficiency. Um, for instance, if you're putting MAP down for your phosphorus source, you know, what nitrogen is going along with that MAP is likely lost over the wintertime. And, uh, and you also, you know, there's a, a bit of a benefit of having that ammonium there when you're trying to improve uptake of phosphorus as well. So you're going to lose that efficiency with fall application. So those would be some of the things a grower would weigh. I think the last thing just to mention on the, on the fall strip till is that, you know, growers that are on heavier soil types, say clay loam type soils. Um, I think in most cases, most growers on those type of soils are pretty much just going to do fall strips. Uh, because they would just be concerned about being able to get on timely in the spring mm-hmm. and make a good seed bed when you've got wet ground down below. Again, especially if you're on a, a bit of a bit of a heavier soil type with a clay loam or a clay. Uh, for spring, I think you know the main pros is that you know there's maybe some more nutrient use efficiency if you're not losing that ammonium on map if that's an issue for you, uh, particularly on lower testing soils and if you're trying to get some starter fertilizer effect. Also, I think, you know, you've got some more options in terms of including nitrogen in the program, the spring strip till that you couldn't get away with in a fall strip till because you lose most of that nitrogen over the winter time. So there's some some other benefits there. Of course, again, the challenge is, uh, and again, coming from a conventional system, maybe not a big deal, but maybe you lose some of the, 
the logistical and labor benefits of going after cereal harvest in August. So I think those would kind of round out most of the pros and cons that most growers would say uh, for fall or spring strip till. Again, I, I don't have a personal preference myself. I think there's uh, something a grower has to weigh based on their operation. Again, I think soil texture is going to be a big driver. If you're a heavier soil texture, I think most growers are just going to be in the fall because of that. Uh, if you got the option to go either or, you know, you're well-drained soil or medium sandy type loam soil, um, and you've got the option, I think it would just be to, to the grower weighing what they want out of the system. You know, if nitrogen is important to them, maybe they would go in the springtime and uh, what works for them logistically, you know, if labor is a real constraint or, or that sort of thing, if they want to go fall or spring. But yeah, I would say that would kind of round out why they knew which. And again, I, I personally don't have a preference. I think it depends a lot on the, the operation, what the grower wants to get out of strip till. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree. I think people are doing it both ways here, uh, those that are doing some strip till. And uh, I do I do see the advantage where we do have such a short season um, to be able to hopefully get on a little earlier if it's wet in the spring, if we do it in the fall. So definitely both options. So when we're moving from, say, a more conventional tillage system um, where we'd be you know, broadcast and incorporating a lot of uh, the majority, of, especially of P and K fertilizer. Strip till brings us that opportunity to kind of fine tune that fertility program, I think, and target the seed and target the plant a little bit, a little bit more. Um, can you talk a little bit about what options there are for fertility placement with strip till? Sure. So I think I'd probably break that into the kind of the two main camps for strip tillers. One is that you've either got generally in most cases, a shank machine, or you're looking at a culture machine. And in terms of placement methods between those, I think shank has the most options in terms of varying placement. So, you know, with a shank machine in Ontario, you know, most of the time you're running six, maybe seven inches. So there, you know, I don't think in a lot of cases would necessarily be running deeper than that. Um, so you've got the option of putting fertilizer right to the bottom of that shank, six inches deep, or some growers have started, uh, you know, cutting those tubes up a little higher. So maybe they're running the shank six inches deep, but they're trying to deliver fertilizer a little higher up, say maybe four inches with the idea of, I don't want to hide all my fertilizer at six inches. I want some starter fertilizer effect out of that. And by going shallower, maybe we can get a bit more, but, you know, banding at some depth behind the shank. It's actually nice. Some, uh, some strip tillers on the market now actually have an adjustable fertilizer tube behind the shank. So no longer get the cut or weld tubes to get your perfect depth. Uh, you can actually just, you know, undo a bolt, move it up a couple notches, and you can adjust it to to where you want to be. Again, I think the balance there for most growers is kind of balancing starter fertilizer effect versus safety if you're trying to put a lot of urea or something like that down in the springtime. Some growers, again, with shanks, if they're trying to avoid safety issues or they want more mixing, you've still got the ability to kind of blow fertilizer, you know, don't put it right behind the shank, but kind of blow it around your shank or that sort of thing to get some mixing as well. So, I think the most options you'd have with a shank. Coulter machine, I think generally in most cases, you're just mixing fertilizer in between those coulters and the strip as they're, as they're running. Looking at strips, I think most of the time, I would say you know a lot of that fertilizer is ending up in maybe the top half of that strip. It's maybe not always mixing totally throughout the strip. There's some companies with, uh, with coulter type strip tillers that do offer some kind of side banding tubes to try to concentrate fertilizer you know, more on the sides and things like that. Uh, if you're worried about safety, you want to move things. So there's maybe a, a, some type of banning options. But I would say most coulter machines would you'd be just looking at mixing fertilizer uh, throughout those strips. 
yeah, I like the idea of um, of being able to adjust the adjust the depth of your fertilizer placement. That seems like some good opportunities. Yeah, I think so, definitely. Especially, again, I think trying to find that balance between starter and safety, depending on what kind of blends mm -hmm. you want to do. I, I definitely like that uh, option with a, a shank style strip tiller. So would you see a yield response to strip placed fertility over the more traditional like broadcast incorporated? Yeah, so we did do a project trying to answer some of these questions. These were some common questions that growers had who were strip tilling already. You're just trying to think about that compared to their you know, current conventional till system. Mm -hmm. So in our trial, it was a three-year trial, but a total of 15 sites across those three years. And again, mostly on low fertility soils, because we're trying to look for the responses. A moderate amount of fertilizer, so maybe one corn crop removal, we were about 60 pounds of P and 60 pounds of K. And trying to put that fertilizer in an available spot, or a spot we thought was probably more available, kind of like starter placement. So we were putting it four out of four inch depth behind a six inch deep shank. And uh, in that case, you know, on those under that kind of scenario, we did see uh, a better response for that uh, strip till place fertilizer in the spring compared to broadcasting and incorporating fertilizer uh, with just full width tillage. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's magical. You know, we've shown a lot of that with started fertilizer work in the province that on low testing soils in particular, you can get a lot more efficiency with better placement. You know, I think that's something we're getting more out of um, with, with strip till as well assuming that you're putting it in a spot where that plant's going to be able to get it. And again, I think on low testing soils, if you're on a farm that sees a lot of manurity of high soil tests, you know, just like starter, my guess is that response is maybe a lot less, if anything at all. But uh, when you're in a responsive environment, I think there's an opportunity with good placement to get a bit more efficiency out of that fertilizer. So from a fertility perspective, would you see a yield difference um, between fall versus spring strip tillage with strip placed fertility? Yeah, so in that same project, we also tried to look at that question. So we ran the same program with fall strips, and then we also ran the same program with spring strips. Now, of course, we didn't have the treatments to tease those two things out. So it could partly be a spring tillage thing and partly a spring fertility thing. We, we don't know for sure, but in most cases, especially on lower fertility soils, we did tend to see better responses with the spring strip and fertility compared to fall strip and fertility. Now, again, I, I get pushback when I say that a lot, especially on growers from heavier soils and say, well, you know, if I'm going in the spring, I'm gonna make a, a lot tougher seed bed. I think I'm gonna lose a lot there. And I, I wouldn't argue with that as well. I think this would pertain to growers who have the option to make a good seed bed either fall or spring. I think on those soils, there did seem to be an edge to the spring strip and fertility um, if you're comfortable making spring strips on your, on your soils. If we moved a little bit of that fertilizer from the fall and put it on the plant in the springtime, in most cases, we were able to make that difference up and there wasn't a big difference between those two, which would suggest it's maybe more of a fertility thing. Um, but certainly there did seem to be a bit more of an edge to the spring strip of fertility compared to the fall. And I would think that would make sense just based on, um, you know, any potential losses over the, over the winter. And that leads really well into my next question which is talking about fertilizer in the strip, do you still have a need for a starter on the planter? So we would typically um, have a, a starter on the planter. So how does that play together? Yeah, so this has been a huge question in Ontario. A lot of growers have. I think in the perfect world, uh, you'd love to have the strip tiller replace the starter program on the planter and get the same efficiency out of it. 
Mm. That way, you know, your planting logistics become way easier, not having to worry about starter. But that is the question, you know, can you actually get the same efficiency at a strip till that you get with a starter fertilizer band? So grower, I would say grower experiences and opinions are kind of mixed. There's some growers who are quite confident that they can go without starter in the planter. Um, there's other growers that say, no, I still think there's an advantage. I'm still going to run it. So I would say grower opinions are are kind of mixed on that topic right now. That was, uh, again, I, I did mention with fall strip tone Ontario, we do seem to be able to eke out some yield response, including starter. So again, in that project that we had worked on, it wasn't huge, but there was a, a significant uh, three bushel advantage for moving a portion of that fall fertilizer to spring starter. And when I say mm -hmm. fall fertilizer, I'm talking PK, but moving a portion of that to starter on a planter. And uh, generally moving a small portion of that made up for any yield loss in that fall strip till system. So it did seem like in that product, there's a small advantage. Whether three bushels is worth chasing, that probably depends on the grower. You know, if you've got a planter with starter fertilizer, logistics isn't a big deal for you. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're willing to go for that three bushels. If you have a central fill planter, you don't have any existing um, starter fertilizer equipment on the planter. So you have to buy an air cart or some other cart of some sort. And, you know, logistics is going to be an issue that, you know, maybe that three bushels wouldn't be worth it for you. But I think overall, the biggest things I would look at is, you know, starting off soil tests again. If you're at a fairly non-responsive soil test, then, you know, maybe there's not a lot to be gained with starter in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, again, on timing, I think if you're going with a spring program, you know, again, maybe you could get away with starter more than you would with a fall program for fertilizer. And I think another big one is uh, placement as well. So if you're strip tilling in the spring, but all your fertilizer is going down six or seven inches deep, and there's a good chance you're not going to get a lot of starter fertilizer effect out of that, at least based on some work that's been done in Ontario. So you know, if, you're, if you're hiding the fertilizer by putting it all down that deep, then again, maybe you would see a bit more of a response with starter fertilizer uh, in a strip till scenario. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I would kind of look at those uh, those things if I was thinking about it for my operation. Yeah, no, for sure. Those are those are some really good points. Um, if you were just getting into strip till and you kind of wanted to figure out where that, um, I guess, sweet spot was between strip placed and and on the planter, would you try? Would you have some in the strip and then um, maybe decrease your starter a little bit? And if so, uh, what would you suggest for how much to decrease it? Yeah, I wouldn't have an, you know, an exact amount. I think it would depend a bit on what your soil test is like and what you think you yeah. need on the on the planter. But you know, if if you're trying to get away with a relatively small amount uh, in on started, maybe you wouldn't want to move a lot there if you're not sure if you're gonna get that response. If you've got a mm -hmm. spare bit going on because that's part of your replacement strategies going through the planter, then maybe you've got some more room to move things. But you know, like in our project, we were kind of in a two by two band, we were putting down 30 pounds of P. And, that, and 30 pounds of K as well as a bit of nitrogen as well. So um, yeah, I think it would kind of depend on what the grower thinks they can get away with. Of course, you know, if a grower asks me a question like that, I would give them that experience and what we've learned in our trials and the pros and cons, but the only way to actually go on your farm is to do some strips. So Absolutely. If, if it was me, <laughs> do some with starters, some without, and see what that is on your own land. I mean, nothing is gonna answer a question better than your own on-farm research. So can you talk a little bit about um, the project that's happening through the University of Guelph, looking at safe fertilizer rates for uh, the various strip-till fertilizer placements? 
Sure. So I think this is probably one of the biggest Drypsil questions, at least that uh, that I'm asked quite often from growers or agronomists. You know, we have safe rate recommendations in Ontario for two by two bands. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, assuming you're getting the right depth, a two by two band is a two by two band. You know, there's not a lot of variability in that. So, of course, the challenge with Drypsil is like we talked about before. There's so many different placement methods, and all of those are going to impact what you can safely get away with. So. Um, Working with the University of Guelph with uh, with John Lozon, who's a, a soil fertility professor here, and we're trying to look at uh, what can you get away with safely with strip till. So um, we've had a, a strip till or custom built with four different placement methods. So we're doing shallow banding where we're releasing fertilizer four inches behind a shank. We're also looking at deeper banding where we're putting fertilizer six inches to the bottom of a, of a shank. And then we're also looking at mixing fertilizer throughout the strip, kind of like what you get with a culture unit. And then a fourth placement, I don't know of any commercial machines doing this, but there's some growers in Ontario who have custom built some strip till bars that are banding fertilizer on the edges of the strip. Okay. And I think the idea there is that they kind of want to keep fertilizer away from the middle from a safety perspective, especially if they're on lighter, lighter soils. Um, but they're hoping that that fertilizer will still be available for the roots to get into later on. So um, that's kind of the fourth placement method that we're looking on. Most of these questions kind of revolve around what can you get away with in the spring in terms of safe rates for you know growers wanting to push fertilizer from a logistical perspective and that sort of thing. Um, we are looking at fall K because that is one question that came up. Can you put too much potash in a strip in the fall to hurt mm-hmm. the springtime? Um, but most of them are revolving around spring. So we're looking at, for those four placement methods, looking at uh, safe rates of spring urea, so that might be a case where a growers meeting P and K other ways, like through manure or something like that, or yeah. maybe they're putting P and K on the fall and they're doing a refresh. So they're hitting it once more in the spring, but they're putting some urea down in the springtime. Um, mm-hmm. There's some growers who are doing that. We're also looking at spring P and K blends. So we're just ma- mixing map and potash together. You know, that's a pretty common strip till strategy and seeing what rates you can get away with. And then the other blend we're looking at is just a balanced NP and K blend. So, you know, we're looking at triple 19 fertilizer, maybe a scenario where, you know, a grower wants to put a reasonable amount of P and K, but also nitrogen down because maybe they want to come in later in crop, you know, and corn's chest high with a high clearance applicator or something like that. So they want a reasonable amount of nitrogen in that strip with the P and K. So mm-hmm. those are kind of the scenarios that we're trying to look at hopefully to come up with some kind of guidance on on what rates uh, you can get away with with those different placements. Yeah, no, that's really cool. I look forward to uh, seeing how that goes um, after the next growing season, I guess. And yep. yeah, because I think that'll be that'll be really interesting and and provide some information that it really isn't out there yet. So so going to manure a little bit. Um, I mentioned earlier that we have a lot of uh, livestock farms. So a lot of the corn grown here in Nova Scotia would be on um, dairy or poultry farms. So they've got a lot of manure and they need to be using that resource, of course. So if I'm spreading manure on a field that's going to be for strip till corn, how would that affect my fertility going into the strip? Yeah. So, like, you know, assuming you're doing a relatively good job of spread and everything else, you know, of course, you know, we're better than no-till. We're incorporating some amount of that manure, but maybe not as much as what you would be with, uh, you know, full-width tillage. Mm-hmm. But I think most growers in the province, like at least in Ontario, that are livestock farmers and strip tilling, I think in a lot of those cases, the manure is going out first and they're, they're working that in with the strip afterwards. So 
whatever fertilizer has been spread on those strips, surface applied, um, it will just be incorporated into that strip. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. And that hopefully will preserve a little bit of it from volatilization. Yeah. So I think spread the manure and then and then pull the strips is what I'm hearing. Yeah. And again, uh, you know, from a strip condition perspective, I think it'd be pretty tough to make your strips and then try to get any manure out on afterwards. Um, yeah. Especially when you think about headlands and turning into to strips and everything like that and tires on manure spreaders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. And Sounds like all, a mess. <laughs> yeah, I think in all cases, pretty much the, the fertilizer or the manure is going down uh, before the, the strips are being made. Actually, I should comment, there's, there's not widespread, but there's some growers who've actually mounted strip tillers on the back of their liquid manure spreaders. So oh, really? if they're going out in the fall, they're, you know, they're incorporating their manure into those strips. So manure yeah. is incorporated, so that's done. And then they're also making next year's seed bed at the same time. Wow, um, that's efficient. There's some logistical challenges and, and that sort of thing, but uh, if you can make it all work out, um, I know there's some growers that are doing that and are, are fairly happy with that system. So yeah, if you want to yeah. kill a lot of birds with one stone, that's one way of uh, potentially doing it. So looking at kind of the strip till system as a whole, and if you fertilize just into those strips, do you need to have any considerations for next year's crop? So assuming it's not going to be strip till corn again, um, or strip till anything, I guess, but what would you what would you need to think about in that scenario? Yeah, I, I think it depends a bit on how you're managing your strips over time. I think there's kind of two schools of thought. One is that you should always be moving your strips over time so that you're building other parts of the soil. You're not just building those strips, mm -hmm. you know, corn after corn after all of your corn years. Yeah. The Now, the alternative side of that is some growers would rather stay in the same spot. So you get kind of pseudo controlled traffic. It mm -hmm. keeps all the traffic and their operations out of those corn rows. So they're always, you know, if you're in a three corn soybean wheat rotation in Ontario, yep. um, it keeps most of your tire traffic off those corn rows. But of course, then you're just constantly building the same zone over time. So mm. I think if you're in that scenario, those growers would tell you that, you know, generally you should have a field in decent fertility shape to begin with. Yep. It's going to be a lot more difficult to fix uh, if you're just going to strip till. So I think most of them would be in decent shape from a fertility perspective. Those growers are probably also addressing fertilizer in those other crops. So, you know, with, with wheat in Ontario, there's a lot of growers that will put map down with the wheat. So yep. now when you're in seven and a half inches row, in row, seven and a half inch rows between those 30 inches, um, you're addressing those needs outside of the corn crop as well. Mm -hmm. Compared to before, maybe that was, you know, part of the broadcast program ahead of right. corn. And then again, soybeans, you know, some growers are broadcasting ahead of uh, uh, their soybeans, or they might be putting it with soybeans in an air seeder and blowing down and getting a little bit of mixing with the air seeders is going over kind of thing. But, uh, but definitely, I think if you're in a scenario where you want to keep your corn rows in the same spot every time, um, you do have to think about some of those other crops. I guess the only other thing I would think about is there are some growers trying to uh, twin row, either they're strip tilling in their soybeans as well, the twin row on those strips, or okay. maybe uh, trying to twin row now over the old strips is maybe kind of challenging with twin row because you've got your old uh, corn row, but yeah. um, some of those types of things as well. Interesting. I guess <laughs> my, uh, my last comment on that would be, you know, whether you're moving strips or staying in the same spot brings a bit of a challenge for soil sampling. Mm. You're going to start building some zones compared to others. So, the uh, you know the 
the general comment there is that take one soil core in that built up zone mm -hmm. for every two or three you take outside of it. And right. you should get an average that's pretty close to if you would just broadcast that same amount of fertilizer over the field. So that's, I know that's a fairly common strategy used by, uh, you know, agronomists in the province that are working with strip till growers. Yeah, no, for sure. That, uh, that's an excellent point. So when we're moving into this, it's kind of a more, um, a more directed, I feel, fertility program and that you want to do that hand in hand with your entire cropping system. So rather than just changing it up on, on corn and being uh, more strategic with placement and, and fertilizer efficiency, um, I, I would think it would be really important to look at that from a whole systems approach and be able to carry some of those concepts through to your other crops. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, again, when you talk to strip tillers and, you know, ask them about, you know, what challenges do you have getting in the system? I think that's definitely one of the things that comes up you know, you've got to think about your other crops as well. Like you mentioned, the fertilizer side. You know, the other thing a lot of them mention is, you know, residue uh, management. Mm. You know, that's if you're, again, I'll use wheat as an example, because a lot of corn would be stripped till after wheat in Ontario. Yep. If you're Same not here. doing a good job managing residue, managing volunteer wheat, if you windrowed your straw, a lot of things like that. Mm. Yeah, you really got to think about those other things more so than just the corn crop itself. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's never just one thing. It's no, no. one thing that affects all the other things. All right, excellent. So to kind of wrap things up, do you have any any advice for somebody kind of starting out with strip-till corn? Yeah, nothing. I mean, no uh, boiled down points right now, but if they're looking for more information, um, we post a lot of our stuff at fieldcropnews.com. So we have a lot of our extension articles and stuff on there about, about everything that we do. But if you go on there and search for strip till, we've got a lot of articles. Um, there's some links to fact sheets we've put together. Those would probably be some of our more condensed um, sources of information for strip till. But there's yeah. a lot of articles and some, uh, some grower panels and discussions that we've done talking to strip till growers on there as well. So I would say uh, if you're interested in reading more, um, that's where I would, would point most uh, growers to. For sure. That's an excellent resource. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much uh, for doing this and, and sharing some of your expertise on, on strip-till. Yeah, I'm hoping to see strip-till grow more in the province and continue to take off. Yeah, certainly. It's, you know, I think it's uh, been a good experience here in Ontario. There's still lots of growers interested in, um, and lots of growers still expanding into it. So yeah, uh, thanks a lot for the, the invitation to speak, Caitlin. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Outstanding in the Field. Check out the next edition of the CropLinks newsletter for a written summary of this episode. Subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date on future episodes. Follow us on social media at NS Perennia. Thanks to Perennia for supporting this podcast and Rachel Oxner and the marketing and communications team for production and design.